0: Welcome to the Rethinking Revenue Podcast, where CEOs, revenue leaders, investors, and go-to-market experts share hard-fought lessons of success and failure as they've prepared their businesses to evolve beyond the status quo. Now, let's meet your co-hosts, Ed Porter and James Roris. Ed is a fractional chief revenue officer and founder of Blue Chip CRO. He helps CEOs fix revenue problems inside marketing, sales, and customer success teams. James is a CRO's secret weapon. Creator of Wins Selling, he helps revenue leaders simplify sales success by developing cross-functional go-to-market teams and establishing Certified Sales Pipelines. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the show.
1: All right. Hello to the Revenue Rethinkers. We are back again with my friend, James. Um, I say he's a friend. I think now we're more than friends, James. We've shared you, stars, Will. we've shared Thank bourbon, you, we've shared business success, we've shared stories about our spouses. We are, we are beyond colleagues, we are friends. And if, um, if it ever comes down to retirement, we may join our guests down <laughs> in Florida and share some <laughs> drinks and cigars so uh, james in, as man. always it's great to great to be here with you so um, I'm here, thank good, you. Good, to, good to see your face for our audience you can't see but it's good to see your face james and we're excited to have with us uh jeff tobin um great guy Mill no pond equity group um jeff welcome and tell us a little bit about you the company the firm the companies you serve let's hear it all
2: sure and thank you ed and james for for having me on the podcast so uh, yes, my name is Jeff Tobin. I'm a partner at Millpond Equity Partners. We are a uh, private equity firm focused on uh, majority buyouts of uh, business services companies between about two and fifteen million in earnings, often called EBITDA. Uh, we've uh, we we have uh, six portfolio companies um, uh, from marketing services, media services, uh, education and training in the uh, uh k-12 space and uh higher ed space so we we uh we're all business services all business to business type companies uh we uh we, we specialize in working with founder uh, owned businesses and um uh, work with them to not only help them uh, uh, gain access to growth capital but also to help uh, scale their businesses to be able to grow and uh and, and deal with uh, the challenges that our new world is presenting us. Uh,
0: yeah, and Jeff, uh, thank you. I, I'm intrigued. We don't have to, we have to spend a ton of time um, on the private equity space, but I am intrigued by the range um, of size of business that you invest in. And also the, the comment you made about equity investment, or I'm sorry, majority investment. And then the comment about helping founders achieve growth. So it sounds like the, your expectation that the founders stay with you and help you as you grow these organizations, can you tell us more about what it looks like after the relationship is is created? Uh,
2: we'll we'll get to know the um, you know the the owner of the of the business that we're investing in over the period of time that we're you know we're just we're we're, we're learning about their business and you know what we call pre close before we've actually become their investor and their partner and we'll we'll work together with them to put together an operating plan uh, and that will define. All the different things that we as a as a group the all the partners if you will are looking to accomplish while while we're together as as partners that could be you know uh upgrading a website it could be expanding a sales force it could be um adopting uh lean process to to take waste out of the the business it could be um uh, of uh, you know helping to recruit uh, a new uh, a new person that's maybe been a gap that that, that in, in their organization. So all kinds of different um, initiatives that again the 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 owner of the business and, and us kind of agree and formulate together. Um, we expose them to some of the, the the things that we've done at other companies, um, especially uh, in similar companies uh, to them. And um, and then once we are partners again, that kind of post close comment. Uh, once we're post close. Uh, then we'll we'll work with them uh, pretty much uh, in a hands-on manner where they need the help. So that's really an important concept. Uh, we're, we're we're really uh, trying to fill gaps, not get in their way or or, or unseat uh, talent that they have. We're we're always coming in and filling gaps. Sometimes we're doing it ourselves. You know, me, my partners, our our, our employees, and oftentimes we're bringing in uh, contractors to to that we've worked with many many times before. Sometimes over decades uh, to to come and augment and and help these companies to to grow
1: so in in this range are there any indicators that you look when you're in the kind of i would say even maybe before due diligence process, but some of these indicators of companies you know you have EBITDA earnings on one end, but on the other one, are there any other demographics you're looking at or factors in terms of like stagnant growth or declining growth or you know you said founder or Somebody who's probably been running the business for a while or is just looking for that succession, are there any of those other attributes that are that you kind of value in this like prospecting or courting stage before you get into that due diligence?
2: Sure. So think of it as <clears throat> partly financial, partly customer, and and then part, partly growth. So on the financial side, sure, the earnings, uh, the earnings margin, the gross margin, uh, all those typical factors that you think from a financial statement, even things as boring as, you know, if they've got if they've got some kind of inventory or they've got uh, you know their cash levels uh uh you know so what their networking capital requirements are, so certainly those those financial pieces are important when we're evaluating a business. Then we spend a lot of time on just the the makeup of their customers and you know are there concentration in their customer base uh that could be you you look at a a business that might be growing rapidly, but sixty percent of the growth was from one customer, so that's what we think about relative to concentration. we think about how their how their uh, customer retention looks like. So you know both on the revenue side and also on the logo side. Uh, so that's that's often uh, very important. We look at at how much it costs them to acquire a new customer and um, how that's been trending. We often find customers when you when you're thinking about their revenue plateauing a lot of times that's because it it, it costs them more and more and more to acquire a new a new customer. So all those you know customer related. Aspects are, are very important uh, to us and then and then as you were indicating the growth side is very important. So we we think about um, You know, how, how has their rate of growth been have they did they go through some some, you know Increases in growth and then it plateaued a little bit and a little bit of increases how, how are those patterns and what are the trends behind those patterns? What contributed to the growth? What are the segments that that produced growth? What are the segments that produced maybe decline and try to understand what uh, has worked before. So, you know, wh- what actions did they take? Maybe going to trade shows. Maybe digital marketing. Maybe a certain type of sales uh, worked within a particular kind of segment. Once we understand that, then we can build a growth case, if you will, of of. And again, we're we're spending a lot of time with that with that owner and even potentially uh, members of. His or her management team to really understand the underpinnings of that growth, um, and w- again, what's been successful, and then you know what what hasn't been as successful. So we'll come out again with the financial drivers, the customer related drivers, and the growth drivers, and that's what leads to that uh, plan that I was talking, about, operating plan that I was referring to before.
0: Sounds like um, it. More than money, there's a there's a broad and general um, business perspective you guys bring to the table that can really. Add a ton of value, identify any shadows or blind spots that may exist, and uh, that, I mean it's, that's got to be a huge part of the calculus when you think about investing cash. You're also looking for opportunities to find those those uh, those blind spots that you can that you can shine a light on or eliminate illuminate for the uh, for the owner.
2: That's right, James. That's a that's a good perspective, and it's one of the things that we try to differentiate ourselves. Is we. We try to come at this as being smart money, where dumb money is money, but it's not necessarily <laughs> right. more help. And, and and by help, I don't necessarily mean to do the work for them, but, but as, as you indicate, it, it's, it's, a, it's a way for us to bond initially, have a very aligned plan of action going forward, and then having already crafted out a strategy where day one, we as a, a new partnership are are able to then go pursue Maybe those three or four things uh, that we've identified as being key to being able to both grow and maybe maybe talk about maybe just optimizing the operation so that as we're growing on the top line, we're also bringing um, maybe more to the to the bottom line, and that that's always a, a dual focus with basically any institutional partner. But we try to do that in concert with the thinking of the of the of the owner, our partner. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When, I think when Ed and I would agree with you in many of the cases that we, ste- when we step into organizations, we're looking at really helping uh, the leadership team think about health before growth, right? Because if you just try to scale an unhealthy organization or a part of an unhealthy organization, you end up creating a ton more problems. And and if you don't have the metrics in place and the visibility to see those challenges, uh, you can see them after it's too late and it can cause more more headaches
2: than, uh, you know, than it was worth. That, that's a great point, and your point on metrics is a, is a very good one, and um, I think the work that that you and Ed do in, in, in really building um, tight views on on growing in an optimal manner is is really wonderful. I think I think more companies should take advantage of, of that. And the work that we did, again, with the finance, the client, and the um, growth analysis, does tend to drive Kind of this dashboard view of the of the business where you you really you really are watching um, those key uh, drivers both both you know historical performance indicators and leading indicators and making sure that when you're making changes to the business that those indicators are showing that you're right and if you're not you're stopping Quickly and and then and then course correcting, which is what I I know that that you guys um, having experienced uh, your value proposition, it also also do uh, too. So,
1: yeah, that health that health before growth is a uh, you know I think I experienced the opposite before, and um, you know it's one of those you don't think of until it's too late and you go into reaction mode, right? So I think you're it's if you've gone through it, it's a lot easier to hopefully prevent it but when you're in it you're it's it's really tough to get out of that tunnel vision because you just again it's this whole like growth at all costs and it's mm. go 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 and you, you know the, the analogy of you're going to build landing gear while the planes in the air and you know I subscribe to a lot of that sometimes but there's the you know there's also a reason why when they say hockey stick growth is like you have the hockey stick first there's a like, you have to take some time you have to get your, your shit together, you have to get your, your house in order, you got to get right the people, you got to get those things done. And that takes time before you can get that, that huge elevation. And I think that often gets overlooked. And um, it's a, it, you know, it's a very mature, I think, too thinking to be able to think through, we got to we got to have this right before we can go. And, you know, everybody's hearing this whole, like, go fast, break things, uh, fail fast, fail forward. And, and it's like, well, yes, but let's, uh, let's try not fail. Let's, let's try that um and there's a line you know you got to you got to balance that so i think that's a, that's a good discussion so so jeff kind of looping this into the the epitome of what our uh, our podcast is about is you know rethinking revenue when you think about either and kind of the maturity of of the the firm or any of the the companies past or current um that you that you've had right now are there points in a time where You've had to think about this, whether it's through your own strategy of portfolio companies or individual portfolio companies where you've really had to take a hard look at what are we doing and are we doing the right things? And can you point to like a, a point in time or a pivotal moment there that got you to rethink revenue differently.
2: And I, I think about you know, TouchMath as an example, uh, our, our company that provides uh, supplemental curriculum and manipulatives to K through 12 school districts across the country. And it helps, uh, you know, either your special needs or or struggling learners uh, learn math, uh, typically in the K through eight range. And um, uh, you know, we when when we bought the the company, um, it, it was really focused on just sending out catalogs. It didn't really have a sales force, and um, you know, it's a it's a really good example of of a company that was able to sell maybe back in the '80s and even '90s, but but as you as you got into the more current times, um, it, it just it just was not as easy to just call up a teacher and that teacher make the decision and you're off to the races. You had more people that were uh, involved in the decision process. And those some of those more people were higher up in the organization, sometimes outside of the school, many times in the in the uh, school district. So it, 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 it definitely created an environment that that, that made um, growing more challenging for the business.
0: I want to circle back to the comment you made around um, metrics, right? And this idea of uh, being nimble enough and flexible enough and self-aware enough to make a change, but also continue to evaluate the progress of that change so that you can continue to adjust as required, right? So it's not just about making a decision that is going forward with blinders on. So can you help our listeners think about some of the key... When you you enter an organization, you start thinking about driving growth and, and rethinking revenue. Are there... Things that you look—we we talked a little bit about some of the areas around employee, con- or I'm sorry, customer concentration and so forth. But what kind of behaviors do you look for inside the organization that give you an indication of where blind spots might exist or where opportunities may exist to help the organization rethink? After all, rethinking thinking revenue is is happens in the brain between the ears, and, and it, it's a people centric endeavor. And there's a whole set of challenges that are that are involved in helping people think and behave differently.
2: Well so I would say that um when you using touch methods as, as an example we we certainly engaged with the people that were that were touching customers you know that were that were engaged with customers, so they didn't really have a true sales force at that point, but they did have people who were in, engaging they called them customer service reps and things like that so we engaged with them we um uh, brought in one of our uh, we call them toolkit partners so external contractor resources that conducted a um uh, segmentation analysis and a persona um, analysis to to really understand what were the the pains and and um, uh, you know really situation of of each of the key persona uh, within those different market segments that, that that the company was interfacing. We didn't change anything. We kept sending out the catalogs and things like that. But once we had a better foundational understanding of the of 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 the core drivers in the market, if you will, um, it, with within those different segments, we number one started to make changes within the product that that we were hearing were 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 causing uh, let's call it friction. Um, number two, and to both of your prior points, we established uh, metrics showing where you know from from you know sales pipeline creation from win rates. Uh, average sales cycle times, uh, you know, mul- multiple metrics so that we could tell whether we were succeeding or failing or <laughs> none of the above. Um, and then we started testing. So whether it was Google AdWords, webinars, attending conferences, what have you, we we really were able to map out from lead origination, MQL, uh, you know, conversion to MQL, uh, MQL to true opportunity and chase. Uh, and and we even tested moving somebody who was in the operations area, but but a prior teacher and a very engaged uh, uh, young woman into a, a true sales rep mode. Uh, only one, but we started with one, and, um, and and then continued to test and modify. And you know she was like a chameleon, uh, di- different tests and market segments and territories and things like that. We now have fourteen salespeople. We actually. Are going to finish off the year. Let me see with revenue almost almost four times what it was when we uh, w- when we invested in the business. So uh, amazing success. But it started <laughs> right back where uh, I just uh, I just explained. So a um, uh, definite definitely um, built on the thing the foundation that we were that we've talked about uh, so far.
0: Yeah, so I love that. So the the idea of the metrics are the metrics are indicators of behaviors, and then once you and once you understand where you want to be, do the segmentation analysis, understand how the markets have changed over time, where the opportunities are, the uh, metrics give you an indication of how the team behaves, which gives you an indication as to what skill sets uh, um, and what mindsets and what tool sets may need to be adjusted to get them in line with where you want to be. And then once that happens, there's. it sounds like there's a process for developing those skills, but also developing the leadership required to align those skills develop those skills reinforce those skills and then of course uh, the only way you could do that you can sustain that over time is to is to continue to reinf to, to continue to have an organization that's dynamic enough to as as those metrics um in those dashboards break certain um levels that you are tracking we the flag goes up and we try to figure out okay why well, this is an indicator of maybe our assumptions that we're working under have shifted now let's go investigate why and make that occur. So make that change occur. So it sounds like this for you guys: this idea of rethinking revenue isn't really. It's not. It's not just one thing. It's not just kind of one. As as Ed was saying, this idea of hey, we're going to fail fast forward, or this one kind of like mantra that we live by, it's really a, taking a systematic approach to understanding all the levers that control growth and control this idea of healthy growth, and taking a holistic worldview of how that how those levers operate and um building an organization that really has a chance to support that system which you know which i think for a founder um without the organization behind them to get there can be really challenging um um I, mean, I, I would love to have you comment on that like it sounds like a huge huge lift uh and it sounds like you guys bring a level of expertise that really is invaluable
2: well i i appreciate that james i mean and it is i mean i think systematic is the is the right, is the right Way to say it. Um, when you think about Touch Math, right? They they've been around since the '80s, and it was started by um, a, a brilliant um, teacher, math teacher, who developed this methodology, and then it it kind of grew and grew. And so, selling teachers was never an issue, never, ne- never, because it, it, it was just such a you know um, a great solution at a teacher level. What started happening is the the world changed, and all of a sudden, administrators at the district level were getting involved in the in the decision. Superintendents were getting involved, and all we had at that time was, "Hey, we've been around for forty years; everybody knows us, just by us." <laughs> so, so we we embarked alongside with the management team, uh, quite a long journey. Um, uh, connecting with a, a uh, education based research research organization and, and we started a process over multiple years of a rigorous efficacy study to prove that our our system, our product, really uh, uh, provides the, the, the lift in standardized scores and, and hard evidence that it works, that our product works. Along the way, that process spun out, multiple pieces of thought leader content that we used in eBooks, webinars, uh, in conference speeches, all kinds of different things. Now, today we have a gold level uh, research report, hundred and some pages that shows our product is great. And that's allowed us to gain entry into some of the largest school districts in the country, which we couldn't do before. But the journey, the systematic journey, generated such rich content that we were able to then arm our uh, sales reps with great uh, fodder to go in and do battle, N- not so much with teachers anymore, but with administrators that have never gotten in front of a struggling math learner. That combination, right. that so think about that as kind of the overlay, the umbrella. Now, below that, we are busy, yes testing things and changing Google AdWords and modifying websites and <laughs> changing the way our booth looks and everything. But but remember, the overlay, that umbrella um, of, of of understanding that we were fighting a different fight than in the 1980s and 1990s and what have you was was key. And again, we did that arm in arm with the management team. So it wasn't really, it, it's not to think of it as us. We didn't come in and do this. We We came in and provided resources that allowed this to happen but this was really the management team's success less less than ours and i think there are a number of of um of contractors including our friend ed that uh deserve a lot of um uh attribution for those those improvements especially below the that umbrella of efficacy and everything but but when when you think about you you go back four four five years ago and then to, to now the business is transformed, but it wasn't transformed by a trick, you know, fail fast, fall fall. Right. It was, it was, it was a fundamental strategy, just like if you were going to implement lean six Sigma in a factory, it was, you know, kind of that same approach, uh, that we applied to, to the top one.
1: So that too, I think is, there's a couple of things you talked about there that I think a lot of people are facing as you, as, as the world changed and, Things have just changed over the past three or four years is access to buyers. You talked about this was a teacher sale before, and now you have experience have, have to have experience selling to administrators and superintendents, and maybe that's even making a presentation in a board meeting or at least giving somebody the information that they can make an effective presentation. So your buying committee's changed, uh, nonetheless increasing. Probably decisions that could be made at a teacher level are now being made at board levels, which presents a whole level of uh, salespersonship to be able to navigate that. So I think this whole accessing buyers is, is a challenge to, you know, how companies have to rethink about doing things. And this is a great example of the shift, whether that was prior to Mill Pond or, or, or during, um, you know, this, how do we navigate this landscape of a new buyer? And then thinking about marketing, thinking about the website, how are you putting messaging to, to those people when you're at shows? Inevitably, you know, teachers, conferences are, are still a big... Uh, lead source, lead, lead generator, in many cases for, for those people. So it's a lot of things to consider with buyer access. Um, you know, In that spirit, let me ask you, during, during I guess, the point maybe post-acquisition um, for MILPON, did you and the team kind of have a, would do you feel like it was a very buttoned up strategy or did you have to fill pieces before you, fill, and then you wanted to work with the management team to then figure out this growth strategy? Did you feel like it was 50-50 ahead of time or... Were you just, we need to work with the leadership team, here's resources available, consume what you want? How did that process start working before you went into this, this is our growth strategy?
2: I would think of it similar to the way you think about an NFL football team having a playbook at the start of the season. But as the season progresses, that playbook changes. And so, sure, we had our theories, we had lined up resources to be able to come in and help. We knew that the website needed to be redone. We knew that we needed to develop thought leader content but we didn't have the research you know project in our heads as to exactly what what it would need we so so i guess having a plan was essential but i think um having the fundamental agility to be able to change as different stimuli you know came forward i think was the key and and i have to hand it to the management team they were they were wonderful to, to to work with. Some, I think, some people can get frustrated. Hey, this didn't work, or wow, this is tougher than we thought. And I think they they really um, they really had the the grit uh, to to see it through, and and they had the I think mental um, uh, or emotional uh, maturity to to be able to um, you know take take some of the the tough experiences <laughs> along with the ones that were easy. And so I think getting to the right solution if you went back to the plan, you know, four or five years ago, probably you wouldn't recognize a lot of it, but, but it it was the right way to start off to get us to the point where I think we, we landed where, where we, uh, where we needed to be. It's great. Uh, one of the things that I, I want to key in on something that brought up, uh, when you recognized
0: how the buying center changed, right? It was, the decisions were heading upstream to people who were further and further away from the need, right? The, the need to improve the inter- interaction between the teacher and the student. Uh, I wonder if you could comment at a more detailed level as to how the research you did changed the conversations that salespeople were having with those um, administrators, with those steering committees, with those um, folks outside of the school.
2: So the the research project didn't change anything. It was really just oriented around proving that that the solution worked. The research that we did in the persona analysis and segmentation was a game changer because what that right. showed was that there were uh, a number of of um, uh, market conditions. For instance, districts were getting sued because their special needs children weren't being provided the you know, the level of education that non special needs students were. There were there were other drivers that were that were triggering some of those administrators that we weren't even on our radar screen they didn't they weren't even being talked to at that point so that research if you will you know not the efficacy study but the but the persona and segmentation analysis i think was the the really game-changing driver that kind of uh lifted our head up and said oh my goodness we're we're talking about how johnny or sally can recognize uh you know, multi-sensory triggers, and we need to be talking about avoiding lawsuits. I mean, it was a complete game changer. And so if you go back in the Wayback Machine and you look at, you know, previous versions of our way, of our website, you'll see it much more oriented at Johnny and Sally, as opposed to now you'll see lots of information about dyscalculia, which is the equivalent of dyslexia relative to math. And you're, you'll see things that are worrying not only teachers, but also administrators. So...
0: So you so the the idea was to elevate and change the conversations that the salespeople were having with buyers from in the past it was easy to talk about teacher function because the the decision makers were closer to the teachers and they were more focused on um exactly how you could solve that that the inter, the challenge between teacher and student. Now to get people to invest the dollars to make these things happen, you had to have you had to address different challenges, right? The lawsuits right. and so forth. Um, and that was, and that's just, we've seen that happen across the board, right? The, the decision making has gone upstream. Uh, it's out of the hands of, um, divisional, um, operators. It's more in the hands of folks that are, that are detached and it's hard to get your hands on that money, which is, which is why, you know, strategies like Bant and other strategies that talk about that lead with budget really are misleading sales reps into thinking that, Hey, it's still about budget when more than 80% of B2B decisions are unbudgeted. Why? Because, you know, businesses recognize that if they're gonna make an investment, it has to be an investment that's gonna drive the growth of the organization. And what better way to to contribute to the growth of a, of a, um, of a, um, of a school or a school system than avoiding lawsuits, for example. So we've got to kind of, regardless of what we're selling, it sounds like um, we have to be rethinking how we go to market, moving away from that product centric Focus and more of the impact or goal centric focus specific to the, the decision makers that uh, you've got to be reaching,
2: right? And one of the things that I've seen in in my career, uh, certainly true with um, with uh, with TouchMan, um, is is a lack of being willing to rethink on a consistent basis. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from business owners, "Well, this is what got us here," <laughs> you know. So okay, mm-hmm. this is what got us here, but there's a there's an expression that we use in in Lean Six Sigma called Kaizen, and Kaizen is the is a is kind of a a word that means the continuous improvement. But it's the spirit of Kaizen is happy continuous improvement. We're always looking at our processes and thinking about ways to improve. It's kind of built into the construct of Lean Six, and and I think that's something that the sales uh, and marketing community, the the revenue community really needs to embrace um, and especially owners of companies. So for example, touch, when you think about those, those, those lawsuits and all that kind of stuff, one of the things that we realized is that we weren't helping our customers do what they need to do to document the fact that they are helping Johnny and Sally. And there's something, there's a concept called the IEPs that are a required reporting structure for students that are receiving special needs uh, through through funding sources that need to be filled out and submitted usually at the district level, okay? We weren't helping our customers produce IEPs. So now we have a product called TouchMath Pro, which is a completely digital product, and it helps teachers not only figure out what how to optimize the, the coursework to help Sally and Johnny differently, but it also helps them create this reporting package that then justifies what they're doing and avoids lawsuits. But we needed to retool or rethink our product offering in order to move into this world of better satisfying our customer and providing the salespeople and the marketing people the uh, uh, material that they needed to better reach the buyer. So let let me just be clear about that. You could, we could certainly have just said stuff But, you know, yeah, we help you avoid lawsuits. Well, but how? Well, we needed to really provide help for them to avoid lawsuits. And so, again, I credit the management team with being clever and thinking through how can we rethink our offering to really do what we know we need to do given this change in the world. In the spirit of Kaizen, we're going to invest and we invested a good amount of money to develop this digital system. In order to kind of create that bridge, and that's the way that I would think about it. I would say, Kaizen is the power in your engine. It's the fuel. It's the gasoline in your engine. But that engine has to be built in an open-minded, agile manner, so that you're and you're, you always have to be focused at building that bridge, not to where your your what got you there, not to where the market was. But you've got to be able to look at what the mark where the market is, understand the core people and segments that are in that market that you need to communicate with better and then you need to build that bridge that whether it's repositioning or enhancing existing products or services so that you can give your salespeople the opportunity to have great win rates and great conversion rates and short sales cycle times and all that kind of stuff. It just doesn't happen by squeezing them around the neck. It happens by arming them with this engine that is built on the combination of of, um, agile thinking and the spirit of Kaizen and really understanding those personas and segments. And that's what, that's really the value equation that we provided TouchMath and that we provide our other co- companies.
1: And that's where I feel like the, you know, this whole, that phrase of, you know, what got us here. And, you know, there's sponsors out there that I've heard of like, you know what, what got you here, we'll get you there. And what we'll worked yesterday, will work today or tomorrow. And I think this is the, that kind of embodies the whole Kaizen philosophy of, it's if you if you feel like you got something buttoned up, well just wait a little bit because it'll need change. <laughs> it'll need improved. Right. It'll need retweet, whatever whatever it is. And I think that's one of the things that we really wanted to talk through on this, just in general with this podcast, is just the way things are, are being done is so totally different, even to the to the point of external factors. So you've talked about external factors with touch math and the, the, the lawsuits that are occurring and how that works and I think the other thing in the educational system is if when you think about your customer you have many of distribution points if you think like I look at touch Math and say you have inevitably board members that inevitably have to make some decision you have administrators that are in there trying to do it you have teachers that have to use it you have students that are using it and you have the parents of the students that are, are on the on the receiving end so you have all of these groups of people and and really only one of them is a buyer and they're, they're the buyer is usually farthest away from What's actually being used so this whole rethinking like who your customer is it's no longer you know johnny and sally and you know maybe that's part of it but um i think this is the bigger part of many industries when you're selling and it's not just selling you know there's not one the customer there are multiples and outside of buying committees there are just a lot of people that interface with the product or service and i love the six sigma or the lean lean six sigma lean approach is you know it's adopted in manufacturing but There's so many applications in service businesses too, where you can still take some of the same frameworks and maybe you're not going to get to the 3.4 defects per million, but at least you can start talking about setting process, managing process, and understanding process variation to say, are we going way off track? Do we need to wrangle things back in? And there's a lot of great fundamentals in in that process that apply to any business and especially in service to customers and, and sales and marketing. Those are service businesses. So there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of benefit in embracing those and you know thinking about you know what worked yesterday isn't going to necessarily work today or we know it's breaking down and we have to figure out what's going to work tomorrow. So as we as we look to to close up, Jeff, this has been a great conversation. I think we could certainly you know we talked about touch and, and I'm sure throughout your career you've had a lot of different exposure to different companies and different pivotal moments. But I think you touched on some of the some of the core things about evaluating growth. And the thought process that has to go into it, looking at the health side, um, the, you know, the, we talk about the resource side of um, a private equity firm like you is what you're trying to do, you know, I love the, the whole dumb money, smart money conversation. And I think there's a lot of merit in that. There are plenty of people that just, we just need the money, shut up, let me do our thing. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a right place and right time for that. But on the other side is, that's one of the things you look for, potentially you can look for in a partner is not just money, yes, but... Then guidance and resources, and it's not shoving something down their throat. It is about here's a menu of some things that we can offer. Here's some suggestions. You know, it's the leadership, it's the CEO that takes it under advisement, but ultimately providing those resources is important to helping the portfolio portfolio companies succeed. So you talked a lot about that, which I think is great. So as we start to wrap this up, um, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit from a recommendation perspective is. You know, you've you've been doing this for a while, both in finance world and in, in, in prior to even private equity and in private equity with the portfolio companies. Is what kind of advice would you have to call it other private equity firms or CEOs that are trying to look at that next milestone? What kind of recommendation do you have for them of of how they can embrace this this process of kaizen continuous improvement or in this kind of rethinking revenue?
2: Look, I, I think first of all, you know, anybody who gets into the boat with you needs to have their hand firmly on the oar, on an oar, and they need to be paddling. So anybody who's sitting off on the side yelling instructions—that that's not what you want in a partner. So first and foremost, you want someone who's going to be in there, whether it's a boat or a foxhole or whatever analogy you want to do—that's that's working with you as a partner. I'd say the, the the second thing that that I I would counsel you know CEOs owners uh, with is that you know you you really want to. Uh, uh, create a, a plan. You you want to you want to, you, uh, you know, use external resources that maybe aren't jaded along the way to to take a, a cold look at your product, at your market, at the people that you're trying to engage in, and at your messaging and, and provide a, a, a real clear feedback and try to be as open minded as possible about about creating a plan. Again, that plan may not be what ends up happening, but the plan will adjust over time, and and I think you've got a higher uh, probability of getting there. I would say again, you know, when you're thinking about bringing people together, don't ever lose your secret sauce. There's one thing about saying, "Hey, th- you know, this is what got me there." Oh, that's that's fine. That can change and morph, but there's usually a key elements of secret sauce that every b- business has that you never want to let go. For Touch Math, it was that commitment to the teachers and always being kind of righteous to the teachers. And, and and making sure that their students are are better off relative to math their math education. Don't don't ever lose that. And then I would say lastly, you know, when you're when you're when you're thinking about change, I would say any change, whether it's the shop floor, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, make sure you've you've agreed with all the stakeholders what those metrics are that you want to improve, and then drive towards them and you know, check every hour, every day, and every week, whatever it is check yourself to make sure that, you know, those metrics are signaling the direction that you put that, that you headed with that plan.
0: Yeah. So the idea here is it's not the end, it's just the beginning, right? When that transaction occurs (laughs) (laughs) with every new, with every new period, right? That begins, it's, uh, it's time to, it's time to dig in. I love it. Jeff, thanks for the wisdom. Uh, Great pleasure. It's been a great episode. If uh, anyone who's listening wants to
2: learn more uh, about uh, Millpond or about you or hear from you, how would they get a hold of you? The best way is probably through email, uh, J-T-O-B-I-N, at millpondequity.com. Right. You just legitimized
0: us, man. You didn't give us a, a, a mysterious email. You gave us your personal email, which is a, a big, uh, a big <laughs> give. That was, it was impressive. Thank you. So Jeff Tobin from Mill Pond Equity, thank you very much for joining us and sharing the insights uh, on how business leaders and, and owners can rethink revenue. It's been a pleasure to have you here. And thank you for everyone who's listening, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Take good care.